I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome back to the Dance Bishop Podcast. Happy Friday, everybody. It's, uh... Well, if you must know, it's 10.17 a.m. here in beautiful Dublin 8, and I'm sitting in my car. Well, it's not my car. It's a rental car, because I don't own a car in Ireland at the moment, which I'm actually in the process of trying to rectify. And I'm sitting in my car because we have a cleaning woman at the house today, and I can't take being in the house when the cleaning woman is there. And we don't have to get, we don't have to psychoanalyze too much, but first of all, uh, I guess there's just an element of guilt um, that somebody else is doing a job that I could do myself. Now, I know I'm paying this woman, you know, pretty decent. You know, I would consider possibly above the market rate for uh, for a cleaning woman, uh, which is also induced by guilt. Uh, but I, de- you know, there's definitely guilt. I feel bad that I can't do this myself, and I'm a messy guy. I'm sorry, I can do it myself, and I'm not doing it. Plus, I am a messy guy, and I always do the pre-clean. You know, I'm. I think, I think most people do the pre-clean, but I only pre-clean to a point where I feel like it's just about acceptable enough. In other words, I've I've taken. I've taken it from an absolute disgrace to an average quite messy house. So, you know, you're looking at you're looking at quite the skewed spectrum here uh, in terms of what's going on uh, particularly in my bedroom. Uh the kitchen I don't worry about as much because it's not 100% my responsibility because I live with my brother who whether it's genetic or learned is equally messy to me. I don't know where that comes from. All I can do is take responsibility for my own behavior that despite my awareness of this problem, I have not done anything about it. I am very comfortable in a mess. In fact, most of the time, I only clean based on the fact that somebody else is coming to my house who is not comfortable with a mess. Um, many, I'm, I'm sure some people can identify. Do you ever bring somebody back to your house and you're just like... Um, you know, you come into the sitting room and then you're like, yeah, I just I just have to run to the bathroom. And then you fucking you, you don't run to the bathroom. You run to your bedroom and you're like fucking boom, 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 chucking everything in the in the closet and all that stuff. Uh, that That's very much me. Uh, my awareness of dirtiness is only manifested when I see it through the eyes of another. So if there's any any psychoanalysts out there, dig into that. But let's take it one step further in terms of why. I I can't um why I can't stand being in the house when the cleaning woman is there. And um I discussed this briefly on the shift when I had a chat with Caroline Foran of the Owning It Anxiety podcast. And talking a little bit about my mother's anxiety, but particularly for my brothers, definitely for me, but particularly for my brothers, because I got out of my house when I was fourteen and went to another country. But my mother, we had this Saturday cleaning thing. And, uh, you know, it was always like Saturday morning, clean the house. But there was a lot of stress associated with that. To be honest, there was a lot of stress associated with cleaning in our house in general. Especially after my mother went back working. She would come back. Uh, she would come back from work like around three thirty, four o'clock. We'd been home from school for about an hour. And if the house wasn't like immaculate. She would fucking flip the lid, you know. It was quite intense. My mother, my mother was quite intense. I'm quite intense, and you know, I I can see sometimes people don't know how to handle that, you know. 
but that's fine. Their their interactions with me are limited, but my mother was quite intense. Interactions with her were, you know, all the time, and uh, so I actually got to the point where I would I would if I once I heard my mother's car pull up, I would like run up to the attic and I would just hide for a while till she calmed down, you know. Uh, but a lot of that stress and was associated with cleaning. So I still fucking run out of the house. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing about it now, but I mean, I, I really think this is a real association. I have to get the fuck out of the house when the cleaning lady's there, you know? Despite the fact that the original source of that stress will no longer be in the house <laughs> ever again. I still fucking run out of the house when it comes to cleaning. So I probably need to get some some CBT done on some of these associations. So anyway, welcome to the podcast. I'm in uh I'm not outside my house cuz I didn't want to be I couldn't I couldn't the further the the deepest of all the shames would be to be seen by my cleaning woman hiding in my car rather than face her. Rather than than face her judgment of how I can live like such a pig. How can one man live this way? Face that judgment, or probably her judgment of, this guy needs a wife, you know? Because living with my brother Aiden, it's the fucking blind leading the blind when it comes to just ba- certain aspects of basic living. You know, I'm, 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 I'm a very, I function at a very high level on, on, on so many areas, but when it comes to certain things, I just, I, I really, really f- fall down at basic you know, cleanliness and also just like systems and routines in the house that would make all that stuff easier. I just fail to implement them, you know. I just have the odd, like, the odd explosive moment of desire to organize. I get a fucking, I get a skip and I do fucking big, you know, big clean out, you know, the amount of shite we've been hoarding in the house and boom, it's gone. Can't even do that anymore. Goddamn fucking guilt about waste. Got to figure out where to take all this fucking shit. You know, which is great. I'm glad that 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 guilt has come upon me. You know, the awareness of uh, not being wasteful. But at the same time, it is a pain in the ass because it was very easy to just get a skip and dump all that shit. You know, it's very healing. You know, some people are bad at. Yeah, I know it's very important not to waste. But at the same time, some people are bad at just like letting shit go, you know? It's like, oh, we can't can't throw that out. You know, sometimes you got to just you got to just dump it. I think I need that Japanese lady. That was all the rage about 2 years ago to come in and uh organize my life. But anyway, that's not that's not really what I uh what I wanted to talk about. Before we get into it, can I just say that Mia Mama has properly begun now. I just did two nights in Dundalk. And, you know, I, I did I did the show in its uh, its proper form. I don't think it's 100% there yet. And that's not to say, by the way, if you saw it the last couple of nights that you didn't see a great show. Uh, you know, I, I think it was a great show. And sometimes what you gain in, 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 in structure you lose in spontaneity, so don't feel like you got ripped off in any way because you still are getting that that spontaneous energy, which can be great. But uh, but yeah, the structure is there, and I've I've now 100% committed to my uh, my spinning experiment, which you know I I think works, but it works. It's it's theater. It's not. Re- I mean, it's funny, but it's not meant to be that funny, and. It's really meant to be theatrical, you know. It's really meant to be some sort of uh, representation of of grief, you know. Uh, which, as I say uh, in the show, I put up a slide and I say, "Grief is not as funny as death." The show really looks at the funny side of of death and admin, uh, but grief is is harder to represent with with humor. Uh, and I, and I'm representing it by in the way that I I grieved. I had massive moments of emotional outpouring during spinning classes, and that is pretty much. I mean, Mia Mama ends on a bike. That's the truth. And I you know I think it's working, but it's it's pretty full on at the end. I I, I don't hold back. Um. Uh, you know about the 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 truth of uh, 
of grief and also the truth of, of who my mother was. And I'm sure that, you know, some people will um, will struggle with that. I had a friend at the show last night. And by the way, I, I actually thought the show was amazing last night. I walked off stage and I was very happy, actually, with the, you know, how the, the jokes went and also how the end went. But uh, somebody I know was at the show and they said that they could hear this guy walking out saying, yeah, he's running a material, so now he's got to self-harm by crying at the end of the show. <laughs> Which I was like, I was very happy with that response because, first of all, the concept of, of crying about the loss of your mother, that somebody would consider that self-harm <laughs> to cry publicly uh, about the loss of your mother, uh, that that is self-harm is the, the ultimate in uh in I guess what could be perceived as toxic masculinity, even though I'm not a big fan of that term, but because it's the opposite of self-harm uh, to let it out. But obviously, in terms of uh, performance, I think it's the opposite of of a of a negative uh, a negative performance to try to portray in a humorous and also emotional way the process of grief. And though obviously there may be a rawness to it. That might make some people uncomfortable because it's only 10 months since my mom died. You can't, you'll never have that, be able to portray that rawness again. Anyway, long story short, I was very happy that uh, that this guy couldn't handle it. Because, you know, I guess for some people, you know, it, it it's just, it, it's, it's, uh, it's hard for them to process somebody uh, speaking publicly about, you know, the suffering. Uh, which is which is part of life, you know, and uh, and I'm down with that. It's not the first time I've done it. And as I said last week about the letter that I got, it was almost like verbatim the reaction that that guy got in 2010 when I was doing about the show about my dad. You know, this sense of this 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 man needs help. You know, this concept of a man being public about his emotions shows some sort of sickness. So. Anyway, me and Mama, properly, uh, properly on the way now to becoming, uh, uh, you know, a real show, um, and I, I and I'm grateful, by the way, to the Spirit Store, for uh, for their support in in helping me to get that going. I mean, it is a pain getting the bike in and out and all that stuff, but it works. Thanks to Westwood Clontarf once again for giving me the bike. Um, so anyway, me and Mama's on set. Well, a lot of sold-out shows. You know, I, I didn't pick a lot of big venues, so there's a lot of sold-out shows, but there are some, particularly the function room shows, some tickets left for them. They will be slightly looser and different because I'm not bringing the bike and I'm not doing the images for uh, for the function room shows, uh, which for some people will be a bonus and uh, some people perhaps might be disappointed. Anyway, the world is coming to another virus coming out of China, which I'm sure... Um, you know, may become a bigger story or may not, hopefully. I'm hoping that my never-ending flu is not the coronavirus. But anyway, last week, I said I was going to talk about, uh, you know, drug addiction and stuff. And I, I, I just got into the, I got into chatting about my mom and I, I kind of um, never got into it. So I was thinking I'd talk about it this week. And then, to to give it a bit of relevance, which I wasn't looking for, at the uh, leaders' debate in Ireland, uh, uh, Pat Kenny, I didn't see it actually, but I saw a quick clip. Uh, Pat Kenny asked the candidates, the two uh, leaders of the largest parties in Ireland, who are really no different, which is an, a, a separate issue in terms of the ridiculousness of Irish politics, that two two like essentially versions of the same thing are competing with each other. I really wish they would just merge so we could have a, a, a you know a genuine opposition. But they asked the two leading candidates had they ever taken drugs. You know, and just to give you a bit of context, the reason why this is more poignant than perhaps a couple of years ago is uh, violence related to uh, you know drug drug crime. Has, has risen a lot in Ireland. There's been some high, high-profile stories. I mean, I'm sure most of you are Irish, so you know what I'm talking about, but there was a, there was a couple of quite gruesome murders, and there's uh, some feuds going on in Kulak and Drogheda. 
uh, essentially all just drug violence, but uh, a violence on the level that perhaps you would expect to see in a, a Mexican drug cartel television series uh, and would be quite surprised to know that it's happening, you know, around around Dublin and South Louth. Uh, so in the in the midst of this, you know, awareness of the the negative effects of the drug trade. I guess you ask these politicians this as if to say, did you once, were you once casually supportive of this drug violence because you, you know, you took drugs knowing that the proceeds of that sale help to drive this crime. And Michal Martin, of course, a different generation to Leo Varadkar, or Michal Martin, uh, I guess he's a late boomer, perhaps early Gen X. I think he's probably a late boomer. He was like, no, 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 I, I can categorically say no. And Leo Varadkar had a little dumb pause. Well, first he was like, I answered that in the hot press. But then there was like a pause. And then Michal Martin like had a chance to get the dig in. Like, well, did you? Well, did you? Uh, and then finally he said, yeah, but that was a long time ago. And, of course, for anybody my age or below, most people are like, who gives a fuck? Because we all did. And it's 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 irrelevant. It's 100% irrelevant. But, of course, you know, for some people, well, you know, it sounds like it's a thing, you know, because drugs are different to alcohol. Uh, so it sounds like, ooh, Leo Varadkar took drugs. But... Of course, it's total nonsense, and I've never, I, 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 I never buy into this thing that if you buy coke or you take coke, that you're supporting, you know, this drug trade. I, 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 I don't buy into that because this has become a thing that people do. People take recreational drugs for pleasure, and we have an insane system that doesn't work. Uh, you know, uh, a, a prohibition. Uh, of drugs uh, which allows a, a black market to exist and it's one of the most lucrative black market I, I think probably I don't have the stats the drug trade is the most lucrative black market I have to think that it's significantly more lucrative than people trafficking um, bank fraud and you know any any of the uh, you know illegal, illegal businesses uh, I have to think that drug trade is 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 the is the the king by far, uh, and there's huge profits in it. So to you know to sort of like lay this, you know, I think sort of like ancient stigma around drug use guilt onto people because they have purchased drugs for recreational use is fucking nonsense anyway. Because none of these things are really going to, you know, like, oh, stop buying drugs and, and, and then the crime will disappear. Well, that's nonsense because people are buying drugs. Uh, and, and of course, Michal Martin said he never took drugs, illegal drugs. But, of course, he drinks alcohol like the majority of people do. Um, and you'll get no judgment from me on drinking alcohol. But you will get judgment from me if you try to suggest that alcohol is different to other drugs in anything other than its legality. Because it's 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 a very potent drug, way more potent than than cannabis, in my opinion, and is only fine because it's a socially acceptable thing to do, and it's it's not illegal. And you know, as I, I talked to Joanne McNally on on the shift this week, we discussed alcohol and the positives and the negatives around alcohol. And we won't get into that. I made under the influence uh, back in two thousand and twelve. And we, we delved into that, which was very much around Ireland's relationship with alcohol in terms of identity. Um, and that, you know, that's all that. But in terms of, uh, you know, alcohol being a drug or not, I mean, it's a drug. People can argue with me all day. It's a drug like all the other drugs, including caffeine, nicotine. They're all drugs. You know, they're all mood altering substances. And when used correctly, in my opinion, aren't a, a huge issue, but obviously um, some are more difficult to use correctly than others. And it, it, it leads me to think, I, I honestly, 
you know, I was doing a quick bit of research before doing this, but I, I, I really wish we could experiment more with the legalization of drugs, not just the decriminalization of drugs. That that's my personal opinion, and you got to take this from somebody who hasn't taken any mood or mind-altering substances other than caffeine and um, the odd, uh, like Benadryl when I'm extremely jet lagged and just take like a, you know, a, a touch of help to get some sleep during the one or two days when I'm jet lagged. These are the only sort of like mood altering drugs that I've taken other than, you know, anesthesia for a testicular cancer operation. And, uh, I think, I think they gave me a volume before my eye, uh, my laser eye surgery. Um, you know, I don't. Oh, and actually, I I took um when I did my back in October, uh, I got some you know very low level volume as a as a volume volume, as a uh, you know like a muscle relaxant I guess. So I don't really take mood altering substances, but that's just a personal choice of mine. That for me personally, I have found that you know abstinence has great value for me because I'm uh, I struggle with. Uh, control once i begin uh taking these things so uh so believe you me i, I you know when i say the legalization of drugs it's not coming from a place of i'm dying to have the the, the freedom to use these drugs willy-nilly i it comes from a place of seeing the negative effects of a black market drug trade and also just kind of wanting to see um what would happen and I I there 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 I don't have an expert with me. There would be uh people way more qualified than me to talk about uh the positive effects of say decriminalization in Portugal, which is kind of like the main example that is held up in terms of what decriminalization can do. Uh and when I was when I was doing a quick sort of once again, because I've looked before, but I was sort of reminding myself of, you know, sort of what what are the real, what are the real things that are going on in terms of Portugal. I mean, the stats are pretty good. They're not exceptional, but they're pretty good in terms of the positive effects of what's happened as a result of decriminalization in Portugal. Uh, many of the indicate, you know, many of the many bits of evidence of harm have been reduced as a result of. Uh, decriminalization. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Portugal. But I think what's interesting about the Portuguese example that a lot of people fail to talk about is, well, number one, what drove uh, Portuguese society to accept decriminalization? Uh, and then two, what are the other factors um, around around that that actually bring success? Is it the decriminalization or is it these other things? And one really interesting thing about Portugal is middle class society was very affected by opioid addiction, um, it, which led to a move for decriminalization. And I think that's such an interesting point, which also seems to show up in all the studies around the opioid epidemic and the concerns about the opioid epidemic in the United States, which is drug, you know, drug use 
as a public health issue uh, becomes uh, becomes a mainstream issue when the affluent are affected, or certainly the traditionally non-marginalized groups get affected. Now, obviously, in the states, this is tied into race, so you'll have people saying, "Now you care about addiction because white people are affected," but really, in in, in more international terms, it's it's sort of uh, you know, traditionally non-marginalized groups suddenly are afflicted with an issue that has been a massive problem for marginalized groups for, for quite a long time. And certainly in Portugal, the sense that mainstream society had to look at uh, drug use as a public health issue when uh, the middle class and the upper classes were being affected by this. So suddenly, addiction... Well, you know, some people actually have a problem with the term addiction, but I'm just not going to get into all that argument stuff because that is really, you know, it's a rabbit hole, really. You know, uh, drug overuse or, you know, these different terms. There is there's almost a, a, a PC debate going on within uh, addiction studies, uh, which uh, which the, the more I was delving into it, I was starting to get a fucking headache. But I, I'm going to continue to use the term addiction if that's okay. Just for now, it's a term I'm just a little bit more comfortable with slash familiar with. But suddenly, there was a, a destigmatization of addiction as some sort of like moral flaw or some sort of like a you know sense of you're, you're lesser, you're you're a less less of a person or you're a weak person because you gave in to the the thralls of addiction, and suddenly it became. Let's look at this as uh, uh, an illness that needs to be treated. Not that I'm suggesting that they're looking at it in terms of the disease model, but just in terms of it as as a health issue rather than a crime. You know, a, a crime issue. You know, you need to be you need to be punished, and that destigmatization is huge. I mean, I, I really think it's 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 the, the the biggest driving factor in what happened in Portugal uh, was suddenly there was compassion in society. You know, and I do think that addiction, you can have, I, I do think you have better results uh, when you treat addiction with compassion. And I don't, I don't have an opinion on the best way to treat addiction. Uh, but I do know that if you step away from that thing of junkies and scumbags and looking at these people as somehow they, have a responsibility for their situation or certainly they have you've you've put too great of a responsibility on their situation uh therefore you don't have compassion you can separate yourselves uh from that part it's just it's it's just very it's much easier to pretend that they're criminals and that they don't deserve say the same public health care that somebody with cancer has or somebody with diabetes has you know, and I, I think it's much healthier to look at it in those terms. And obviously, because for whatever reason, middle class people in Portugal were affected in huge numbers by addiction. Suddenly it was it was no longer scumbag junkies. It was this can happen to anybody. And I think that's lacking in Ireland, actually, which you can see. And, you know, whether you're a proponent of harm reduction or not, again, another debate that I'm not going to get into, perhaps sometimes, sometime I'll get in expert, you know, different believers in, in different ways. But whether you believe in harm reduction or not, or certainly, sorry, not whether you believe in harm reduction or not, because obviously uh, harm reduction reduces harm. I mean, the, the, you know, the science shows that there are certain things that you can do to reduce harm, you know, whether you can actually uh, stop the, the behavior is another story, but you can reduce harm. So we know that, you know, needle exchanges drop HIV rates and hepatitis C rates. Uh, you know, there are certain things that you can do, but there is a huge resistance in society for these uh, for these centers. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that there's no compassion for the addict. Not to mention, if you think that the majority of addicts are scumbags from fucking... Dolphins Barn across the street from me are fucking Ballymun, and that somehow they made that decision to get into this criminal behavior, then it's very easy to be like, I don't want these fucking junkies in my backyard because it's very much the other. But they're not the other. They're just unfortunate because, especially in terms of uh, class divide, 
it's just so much easier for a kid from Dolphin House to end up with an opioid addiction than it is for a kid from Terenure. It's just a fact. There's, a, there's, you know, there's any number of issues around social deprivation that will lead a child. You know, what, first of all, obviously, it's, it's uh, you know, availability. So, you know, if you grow up in Dolphin House, you know, you're going to be offered heroin in your lifetime. It's going to happen. I've never, I was a fucking addict. I was, I was an active user of drugs and alcohol to the point where I felt it caused a massive problem in my life. I was never offered heroin. I stopped taking these substances at 19, and up until the age of 19, heroin never came into my orbit. And I absolutely promise you, I would have taken it. And I would have never stopped until I was fucking covered in fucking abscesses and full of fucking diseases and hep seed up to the fucking eyeballs. Had I fucking had that chance. Thank God I didn't have that chance. That's providence, man. That's fucking chance. That's luck. That's a, a, that's a, a, a byproduct of my socioeconomic situation growing up as a, as a, as a middle-class kid from Queens who got this opportunity to be educated in another country, yeah? But a kid from Dolphin House will have to say no to heroin. So people always make this decision like, well, they made that choice. They made that choice to take that drug. And it's like, yeah, they made a choice that you never fucking had to make, and you're judging them as if you had that choice. You never had to make that choice. You know, you know, not to mention, you never had to deal with that peer pressure, you know, of a of, of a young man or woman, and you know, tr- and you're trying to fit in, and that that all the all the 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 peer pressure associated with making that decision, the the your concerns about the consequences of saying no, you know, all those things tied in with it. You, know, you want to fit in. You don't want to look like a pussy. All these different things that are going around in your mind. You've never had to make that choice, but yet you're gonna you're gonna judge some some 15, 16 year old boy's decision. And what it did to his life, and you're gonna fucking banish him from your concerns. I mean, that is the 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 epitome of 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 a lack of compassion. And I remember years ago, my friend, who coincidentally enough is now a Bernie supporter and is super left, but he used to be more on the right. And he used to always bring up the 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 choice. You know that that's a choice argument, and you have to take personal responsibility for your decisions. Uh, and I always made the example that, like, it's not a, I, I would always say it's not about choices, it's about chances. And the reality is that if you're from uh, a, a neighborhood like Dolphin's Barn, you basically only have, like, one chance, maybe two, you know? And once you fuck up that chance, you're screwed because you could end up in the criminal justice system based on that one choice that you made. Whereas for me... Look at all the fucking bad decisions that I made. Started drinking at 12. I, I had like genuine negative, uh, negative outcomes as a result of alcohol from the age of 13, but, but proper ones by the age of 14. And even though it really wasn't related to my alcohol use that I ended up flunking out of St. Francis Prep, I, you know, I was having negative results uh, as a result of like my behavior, you know, like actual negative outcomes as a result of what was going on in my life. And my parents, whether they were right or wrong, made this decision to send me to another country to boarding school to get a better education, which the boarding school part of that decision was like life-saving for my education. Some kid from Dolphin's Barn not getting the decision. He's not going to fucking school after 15, right? So his education chance is over. Didn't get a second chance on the education, right? Plus, if he continues doing the behavior that I continued to do, eventually he's going to end up in a, in a situation where he could be arrested. Now, I was never arrested for the possession of drugs, thank God. But had I ended up in the criminal justice system, it could have affected my, my life for good. And look at any of the stats. It's like whatever percentage chance higher for this kid from Dolphin House to end up in the criminal justice system than it is than than it was ever for me. And then you're fucked for life, you know, and you're fucked for life based on a, a fucking terror, you know, a, a, a decision that you made when you were 15. And it, it, the kid will maybe the kid commits a crime at 18 and people go, well, he was an adult. But it's like, yeah, but this is this is a spiral that began when he didn't know what the fuck was going on. And now he's locked into this for life because of these decisions. I mean, it's crazy. If you can't have compassion for that scenario. So in the end, it comes down to that stigmatization of seeing these people as other. 
you know? And that's why I do wish that we could stop seeing the people as other and then we could have a more rational discussion around what can be done. But the legalization argument, personally for me, is, is much more about the crime, getting rid of the crime. And it's, it's such a pity that there's no example. The only example that we have is that alcohol and nicotine are legal. And the public health harm associated with that is immense. And so I can understand that there is a huge fear in legalizing drugs uh, will lead to massive negative public health outcomes. And would those public health consequences outweigh the benefits that may come from the decrease in criminal activity uh, in relation to the drug trade. And that is the difficult, that is the conundrum. Massive conundrum, I think. Because, well, we you can't know. And I don't know how you would do an experiment, but I, 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 I wish that it was possible. You know, obviously some people like to give out this the sort of rosy rose-tinted best-case scenarios where drugs are regulated, taxed, the government itself could uh, could be the actual seller of the drugs, you know, the government could become the dealer, and you have all this extra money to put into the public health system to deal with any of the negative uh, repercussions of increased drug use, and, uh, you know, we don't really know if that would happen. We also don't know if it would decrease illegal activity. I mean, I think it would. Um, there hasn't, in any, of, uh, in any of the decriminalization examples, there hasn't been a huge increase in drug use, which was the fear. Um, so, personally for me, I really think it's worth, it's worth trying, you know? I mean... It's only it's it's a short time since the decriminalization of cannabis use has has really become more of a mainstream issue, you know. I I, I think, well, certainly in my lifetime, but I really think in this decade, we'll see huge sections of the world where cannabis use will no longer be an issue at all. We don't really know that much about what public health uh, outcomes we're going to have as a result of that, but. I don't think they're going to be huge. I think it, it's 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 a positive for people to not end up with criminal records based on on cannabis use. I, it drives me insane the amount of fucking fantasy health results that people like to fucking give to to fucking cannabis, as if cannabis is like the the, the wonder drug of all time. I I, I think there are there are great benefits, and it, it, it's shocking to me that they that they weren't. That, that this sort of move towards uh, being more positive about cannabis didn't rise up quicker. At the same time, it's not the fucking wonder drug some of these people uh, say it is. And I do think a lot of that has to do with identity because so much about drug use is about identity. It's like, what are you? Well, I, I smoke weed. Like, smoking weed becomes part of your personality. And, like, all that is totally fine. But obviously, if smoking weed is part of your personality, then you're really going to fucking bump up its benefits, you know? Uh, and I guess if people talked a lot about the public health benefits of laughter, I might bump up the benefits of what I do. Whereas in actual fact, I just, you know, anyway, that's neither here nor there. But, um, but I, you know, but I, I, I think, uh, there hasn't been any massive negative outcomes as a result of the decriminalization of cannabis. I think personally, uh, looking at the decriminalization of, of all drug use would be a positive in Irish society, perhaps it'll rise up more. Aiden, Aiden O'Reardon, uh, is it Aiden Reardon or Aiden O'Reardon? I I I can't remember, but yeah, he's a he's a labor guy. But I've always liked him. Uh, he, you know, he he uh, he didn't get elected in the last election, but I've always liked him because he's a big proponent of harm reduction. But he also just has like very sort of no nonsense, no emotion looks at drug use, and so much of this about drug use, and um. You know, drug use and perceptions. And, and and what's so hilarious is, like, they ask Leo Varadkar, 
did you ever take drugs? And then you make this like small association with if you buy cocaine, you're you're implicit, you're 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 complicit in the violence that's associated with the drug trade, you know? And yet Michael Healy Ray, Irish politician for those that don't know, consistently talks about how uh, drink drive, you know, uh, low levels of, of of blood alcohol restrictions on on driving is killing rural areas. He literally wants people to be able to drink more while they're driving because he says that the negative out uh, 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 the negative effects of, of rural isolation uh, far outweigh the negative effects of the increased risk of fucking road death based on alcohol consumption, right? And people are fucking di- like. And I am not dismissing any of this drug violence, but a lot of the drug violence, just for the record, is violence inflicted on people that are involved in the drug trade. And I'm not saying anybody's asking for it, but there's not as many innocent people dying as there are fucking innocent people dying on the road from fucking drunk driving, right? But when Michael Healy Ray sticks up for fucking increased alcohol use, and by the way, he owns a pub, he's a fucking drug dealer, legal with a license, but you're a publican, you're a drug dealer. You're dealing drugs, okay? And if you have a problem with being called a drug dealer, that's only because you accept the stigmatization of drugs as being different than alcohol when alcohol is a drug. You're a drug dealer. And I don't judge you for that because I think it's a fine service that you provide. You provide a substance that relaxes people and you provide a social environment where they can enjoy it. The problem is that you then make judgments that other drug dealers, right, who have to do it in a black market are different to you. They are not. You're a drug dealer, and I salute you for it. I have no judgment on you. And if you're feeling a judgment in relation to being associated with drugs, that's on you. It's just a mood-altering substance like the rest of them. So Michael Healy Ray, who owns a pub, is sitting there basically saying, I think people should be able to take more of the drug that I sell despite the negative consequences of what happens when you get behind the wheel of a car when you are using that substance. All the fucking science in the world will fucking show you about the increase in road deaths as a result of alcohol, not to mention the increase in domestic violence, not to mention, you know, the increase of random violence on the street. You, We'll fucking go all day about the negative effects of alcohol. And all drugs when misused, have negative effects. But how come somebody has to answer for all the fucking negative effects associated with the drug trade when they take a bit of cocaine, but they don't have to answer for any of the negative effects of fucking alcohol when they are literally advocating in government without any shame the use of alcohol in a dangerous way, a proven dangerous way. Getting behind the wheel of a car affects your driving when drinking. I mean, it's just like... The hypocrisy is ridiculous. So don't fucking talk to me about Leo Varadkar uh, having a problem because when he was younger, he fucking took drugs like everybody else. Don't fucking have that double standard. It drives me crazy, which is obvious. Get very excited. Um, anyway, that's, uh, that's my take on that. I, 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 am, I am more than aware that a lot of people consider uh, the legalization of drugs to be insane. And I am very aware that I have absolutely no idea how it would turn out. But I just wish there was a way that we could try. That's all I'll say. I wish there was a way that we could try. Um, if... I'd love some feedback on more examples of, of, you know, where it might have been tried. But um, I certainly I certainly don't have them. So I'm open to a bit of feedback on that. Sorry for my distracted tone there. I was just looking at my phone to make sure that there was uh, there was there was nothing that I that I that I left out, you know, in terms of the stuff that I wanted to talk about. Um, by the way, where I got that quote about, um, where I got the quote about the, uh, middle class versus uh, lower classes is, um, 
you know, there was the Portuguese, the kind of like the, the drugs are in Portugal that really pushed this change in, um, in decriminalization. I, it's, it's Gaulau. I, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name properly, but he's kind of the guy that drove it. And he had said that, you know, he was basically pointing out that it's more than just decriminalization. Uh, there's so many different factors that affected it. But he had said the fact that this happened across the board in a conservative society such as ours has had some impact. If the heroin epidemic had affected only Portugal's lower classes or radicalized minorities and not the middle or upper classes, he doubts the conversation around drugs, addiction, and harm reduction would have taken shape in the same way. Uh, you couldn't find a single Portuguese family that wasn't affected. So that's where this issue of something had to be done came about. And uh, yeah, so anyway, that's that discussion. Discussion I wanted to have last week. Um, I don't really have anything else, uh, anything else to talk about. We will get some interviews going again soon. It's just that well, because, you know, I'm doing the shift, uh, which I record on a Monday night, and then I've also been working on the new show. It's just been hard to uh, to find the time. But, you know, I do enjoy um, I do enjoy our, our, our single chats. Um, you know, we have an election coming up in Ireland, so we might be able to do a bit of chatting about that. We're going to have Lynn Ruan on the podcast, a little favor swap. She's asked me to do something for her, so I'm going to get her on the pod. I know she's been on a lot of Irish pods Um but I do want to talk to her about some of the issues, actually, that I was that I was ranting about there a short while ago in terms of um, marginalization, stigmatization, uh, the class divide uh, in Ireland. And uh, so we'll have her on. I think she's fantastic. I read her book, and uh, she had a tough life. I mean, she really has. She really came from a, you know, tough. Uh, working class upbringing in Tala and experienced, uh, you know, all the, she experienced some of the classic sort of uh, outcomes that you would expect from, you know, poverty, basically. And uh, she's risen above all that and has had a, a great political career after uh, getting a third level education through the Trinity Access Program, who I actually, I, I, I know other friends of mine and myself and Lynn have some, some, some mutual friends. Uh, but other friends of mine achieved their education through that Trinity Access Program, which I think has been a fantastic initiative because certainly access to third level is something that most people from uh, marginalized communities fail to achieve. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we'll be chatting to her about all those issues, which she talks about a lot, but I, I feel that you can't highlight them enough. Uh, I live in... Rialto, which is about to experience a massive wave of gentrification, so we will see if that's a positive or a negative for my neighborhood. You know, it's really hard to know, but we will see. Um, and yeah, make sure you hit me up on uh, Instagram at Des Bishop uh, if you want tickets. If you want to come see me and Mama, it's uh, desbishop.net forward slash tour dates. And Facebook.com forward slash Des Bishop, TikTok Des Bishop 5. Although, honestly, I had like a TikTok week and a half where I just thought it was the best thing ever and I've gone off it already. It's definitely not for me. I do put up quite a lot of vids on IGTV. I feel like IG to Instagram television, IGTV it, it has been, um, it's actually quite a good format. It, it's quite a good, you know, uh, platform, but. I just don't know how popular it is. But actually, when you get into it and you start swiping, it's quite like TikTok. But obviously, for it's it, it it's more substantial in the content that it has up. It has some really good content. Um, and I do feel that if they haven't pushed it enough in terms of how it's meant to be used. And I think once you get over there and you start swiping, there's some good stuff to, to watch on it. Um, but I don't feel like they've done it right. And I actually feel like uh, the usability of it is annoying. The The user interface is awkward. The sizing of it is awkward. And uh, so I really do think that Instagram should get on that and make it a bit better because I do I do think it is good. Uh, but I'm, I'm putting videos up on IGTV. I put them up on Facebook too. So And that's where most of them get seen. So if you're looking for random content, I put up a little improv from uh, the show in Dundalk on Wednesday night up on IGTV. I'm putting it up on Facebook today which was just a silly bit where I, I joked around about uh, getting your arse licked with uh, 
how that might help us to have a united Ireland. So it's just a silly juxtaposition of two completely unrelated things. But uh, it was a good laugh. And, you know, when you're in Dundalk, uh, it's always good to have a bit of a border crack, uh, which uh, which I was doing. Because f- for those that don't know, in the Me and Mama show, I'm, I'm, I want, I'm doing the warm-up for myself. So in the first half, I just talk about whatever. And I'm actually looking for those improvs because I'm filming all my first halves, hoping to get a little improv magic, which I will then put up onto um, Facebook and IGTV because it's all about the content nowadays. So to drive that content, um, I'm recording those first halves. So that's more like straight stand-up, having the crack. You know, um, I have some new material in that section too, just random stuff. Like like I've actually been doing quite a few jokes about uh, Leo and the Come Out Your Black and Tan scandal uh, and I'm hoping to sort of keep that first half uh, topical, loose, fresh new material, and uh, and any any loose improv bits will make its way um, into the into the content part of my life. Uh, so anyway, check that out. So I- even if you're concerned about uh, Mia Mama being a bit too full on, and can I just say, in terms of Mia Mama, you know, 85% of that show is really just funny jokes about death but a lot of it is just about growing up too and my mom and a little bit about irish history because I, I look a little back at my mom's sort of backstory and uh so a lot of it actually are they're just good they're just good bits you know you pull them out and they would be just funny bits in any show so you don't really need to be concerned if you're worried about oh god this show is you know just about death and and grief and stuff it, it's really not you know and the majority of us had mothers <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of that just growing up kind of humor in it. So, uh, so do come and, uh, check that out. The shift goes up every Tuesday, but really it usually goes up just before midnight on Monday night, uh, into Tuesday morning. Uh, and, and do check that out. I still haven't decided on whether to move this over. I, I messaged somebody from ACAST and I didn't get a response, but I think that has to do with the way that the text went out. Um, so I will send that text again and uh but it doesn't matter this is going up on the des bishop podcast thanks for your feedback from last week it meant a lot um i'm glad people got something out of it i listened back to it myself and i was pretty happy actually that i was you know i mean you know in a way it was kind of like a diary entry and it's quite handy to be able to sort of work that stuff out it really is helpful then to listen back you know you're trying to make sense uh you're trying to make sense of all these things so so thanks for the opportunity to do that um and that's it guys we'll uh we'll chat to you next week until then hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 